0: This episode is sponsored by the Financial Due Diligence Framework course. If you're doing any type of financial analysis and participate in M&A, strategy or turnaround projects, you absolutely need to check out this course. By completing this comprehensive video course, you'll be strongly armed to analyze the P&L of any company and to be able to provide actionable, insightful reports. This course teaches you how to properly understand the methodology of how to conduct thorough financial analysis and what is important in financial due diligence. If you're looking for a career in transaction services in one of the big four, in a transaction services boutique, or to be a better private equity professional or M&A associate, you'll get a solid foundation to land your next job. And as a special offer, if you use the code District, you'll get $100 off the entire course made specifically for our listeners. So if you're interested, go check out horizoncapital.com slash learn due diligence. Hello, hello, everyone. This is your host, Akhil Jabbar, and welcome back to another episode of SaaS District. In today's episode, we'll be talking about why product and help content is important and high-level SaaS growth challenges that we face every day. So today we have our guest, Akis Laupodis, joining us. Akis is a serial entrepreneur, revenue and growth operations advisor, and he's also the founder at Helpful Docs, where they create knowledge base, help videos, product guides, and all the helpful document users need. Akis is an expert on customer needs and designing impact solutions to the existing problems of the B2B and tech industry. So welcome, Akis. Super excited to have you on the SaaS District show today.
1: Thank you for having me. I'm super pumped to be
0: here. Uh, so I want to get into a topic that's you know probably, probably the most uh, spoken about and, and sought after, which is lead generation, right? That's the, the kind of blood of, of any SaaS company out there. Uh, we know you're an expert in growth and value generation. And you know topic that's brought up from SaaS founders and entrepreneurs is, you know, how, how do I generate more leads? And more importantly, how do you suggest getting the most value from each one? Right, because we see people think it's all about volume, but sometimes it's you know making the most of each one. I think that makes a big impact, if if I'm not uh, mistaken.
1: Yeah, that's actually a really good question. So uh, basically, you know, over the years I've worked with a significant number of startups, and I've seen startups in very like very niche industries, but also, you know, broad ones like CRMs, for example, which, you know, they don't focus on, on just one industry. So I've worked with those teams on a number of projects. So from inbound, traditional, like ads, content marketing, lead magnets, um, you know, that sort of thing. Um, but I've also worked on outbound. And what I've seen is that Basically, the the one common trend is that outbound is much more efficient when you target larger companies. So um, mm. when when the the people are identifiable, the companies are identifiable. Uh, if if you go like enterprise, you can also use like ABM, so account like with marketing techniques and stuff. But generally speaking, outbound is is hard. Like th- there are a lot of SaaS that are targeting broad um, uh, like small business categories, and it's very hard to <laughs> um, to to make an impact there because first of all. There's thousands of people who are trying to, you know, to to sell to them, like cold calling or cold emailing or trying to reach them with even direct mail. I've heard some people have tried this. So, but in my experience, um, outbound is, is not the best strategy, especially for like, earlier stage companies. Like once you've figured out other channels... And you can generate leads in a sustainable way uh, through other channels. Um, then potentially outbound in a much more targeted way might make sense. But in the beginning, is it's it's harder. So. There are certain exceptions to this, of course. Like I know that many tech uh, founders, when they sell to other startups, they tend mm-hmm. to use outbound and cold I called outreach, and and that works. Like it doesn't mean that it doesn't work in, in uh, like in any scenario. But generally speaking, if you don't sell to to people who are, are very responsive to to cold um, outreach, then that's not going to be very efficient. So um, I'll share with you one technique that we've used, which is very overlooked by SaaS. So Okay. There was... Um there was a point where we realized that um, we we needed to actually educate the customers heavily. Um, so that education was uh, falling onto, you know, the sales team that had to do like super long demos with uh, the, the leads for educating them, not on the product itself, because that's the pretty obvious thing, that's their job, um, but it's actually educating them on generally the transition they have to make in order to switch to that SaaS solution. So, um, a good example of that is uh, is actually the the company that i'm devising right now b2b wave so they provide a solution which is designed for managing orders and mm-hmm. receiving wholesale orders most of the leads that come to that saas um, are business owners that run wholesale businesses and they they just they they either they've used some form of like really old-fashioned system, or they've never used the system. It's all pen and paper, and they're making this transition for the first time. They're adopting any sort of tool for like you know automating and scaling their operations, and mm-hmm. and they have the the education that they have to go through is actually very heavy because they have to understand concepts which have nothing to do with the product. They it has to do with how you. You would manage your business using a software versus using your like you know pen and paper. Um, so, so in those cases, you actually need. Um, A really, really strong educational component because you're going to be the one that's going to be uh, training and educating the customers. So you need to be really good at this. So a good example um, is that you have to have recorded video content, you have to have tutorials and you have to walk them through the content. And those tutorials have to be placed in different locations across the funnel. So the example I'm I'm going to share with you is not related to to B2B wave. It's from another uh, company. So okay. in in that company, basically we recorded a demo, and the demo was was aiming at the same objective, and the the funnel was ads. We we had some ad, we were running some ads on Facebook, and then we were sending people to uh, basically a registration form so that they can actually watch that thing, and then uh, once they watched it, then we were actually scheduling a call with them, and then we would actually go through a quote and, Mm -hmm. and, 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 you know, and the sales process. So we managed to get a really interesting conversion rate. So we had about 33% of the people that clicked on the ad that actually registered to watch the video. And then from, so giving, instead of giving you percentages, I can give you actual numbers like as examples. So if you had a a thousand clicks, you would get 300 to 350 registered people. Um, And then from those, you would get like one third of those would actually watch it. And of course, no one watches everything. They would watch like the first 10 minutes. And then from that, they would actually watch um, so we, sorry, we would schedule about 30 to 35 calls, and then we would have a close rate between 50 and 60%. So that meant about 15 to 17 customers from that initial campaign of 1,000 clicks. Um, so, sorry, uh, uh, the beginning of the funnel being 1,000 clicks. So mm. that meant that like uh, the cost of acquisition for this one w- was fluctuating because it was very seasonal. So it was going anywhere between like 150 to $380, um, which is very, like, it's it's a very good number for for, for that um, for that industry and for that type of software so um, mm. I know that everyone is trying to get like ads to to landing pages and people to sign up, but sometimes yeah. you know video content um, from an ad is actually a good a good idea so I don't, I don't know if you want
0: yeah so just a couple of questions there so is that, that video within the ad or is you sending it to like a another custom built landing page or a sales page or just a video kind of a sales letter and then from there the scheduling call what's the funnel look like?
1: Yeah, so no, it was a landing page and the video was behind a form. So they would actually, to access the video, they had to share some basic details like name, email, phone number, so that we can actually reach out to them. And and yeah, and, that, and the way we did the outreach, I mean, in order to get those types of numbers, you actually need to be very targeted in your ads. You can't just yeah. do based on interest. So we would actually download the list of customers and then we would do lookalike ads on Facebook, right. which like, you know, a few years ago, they were very effective.
0: Yeah. Yeah, exactly. And just for people to, you know, maybe for context, people trying to run something similar, a campaign like that, um, you know, lookalikes, I know you need a generally a minimum amount of of email lists, you know, whether that's existing clients or finding them from, from a database. Uh, How how many emails are you typically looking to get for, to to be more accurate there?
1: Yeah, I think that any, anything under a thousand emails is probably not going to work. Um, So Mm. yeah. So, so like even like, for example, a SaaS, a B2B SaaS that has 300 customers and you have about you know, three contacts under each customer. So you can use all three emails. So that gives you 900 uh, emails. And then you can augment that list, you know, with a number of techniques that are available out there. And then you can get to a thousand. So like, by like, you know, finding a database of an additional 100 leads. So you, you can play around with it, but like you can use all the, the contacts in your, um, in your CRM. Like it doesn't have to be just the, the one person that's kind of like the admin user.
0: Yeah, yeah, that makes sense. Uh, And then in terms of how you're getting the most value from each one. So uh, yeah, it seems like you've optimized the funnel, uh, you know, sending them to a call and then you know converting, you know, really, really high amount of them. How, how are you able to convert the 50, 60%? Is it because they've already watched the video and they're, they're already kind of really warmed up at that point or is, you know, something in your sales process that you've, you've done well there?
1: Yeah, so, uh, yeah, the, the, these are, it's a, it's a, there are two main reasons. So the first one would be mm-hmm. that, um, yeah, they, they've gone through, like, uh, they've seen an ad, they've watched a video, uh, they've submitted their details on a form. So basically the landing page has already, uh, has some impact, it, it's a touch point. Um, and then after that, they have a long sales call um, and that's it, after the sales call, they have a quote and then there's a follow-up call after the quote and then they, so that 70, that 50 to 60%, 60% close rate, It's at the end, of this entire process. So uh, it sounds a lot, but it's actually, there are a lot of steps before that. So um, that's one thing. The other thing is that uh, in order to make those sales calls effective, one of the things that I've seen is that um, basically you you need to be able to adapt to the language of the customer. Um, That's a generic advice. I know it's like just uh, something that everybody would say, but I've seen many companies who are, Talking the way they want to talk using yeah. the terms of their own product and their own like you know culture, whereas when you talk to the, to a customer, like one of the major things that uh, I've seen like huge differences in close rates. It's when you adapt to the customer versus to your own thing and you talk like you know SaaS like, lingo and the customer is like, well, you know, what is this? Mm-hmm, mm-hmm.
0: Yeah, no, that, that makes sense. Yeah, I've, I've, I will see you know going through some sales demo how scripted it is and I can tell it's following a script and the questions they ask and. You know, I'm like okay, if you, if you just take a little bit more time and try and listen and try to make it more, you know, more customized, I'm sure this would be a lot more of a valuable conversation, right? So yeah, I, I yeah, and especially
1: that. it, that's a really good point, but especially for people who are like coming from a very different background. So for example, uh, like the example I gave you earlier for B2B wave, um, th- these are people that have never used the software platform. So if you tell them. Um, if you use terms like, uh, you know, uh, nothing comes to mind right now, but if you use a specific term that, you know, uh, doesn't make sense for someone who is not used to using software, then you're making it just harder for them to understand you and and, and for the things you say to resonate with them.
0: Mm. Yeah, it makes sense. And speaking of different challenges of what you're seeing with, you know, specifically in SaaS companies, you've worked with over 15 tech companies in the past. Uh, you've probably seen some kind of patterns You, you know some pattern recognition among these different companies what would you say you know are, are some of the biggest challenges that they're facing right now to to continue to grow
1: well again, a very good question so I've seen uh, companies struggling on old like diff- on, on different levels from product to growth to pricing to customer success to how they do support and and I've seen companies failing on like through different uh, types of churn, so of course there's happy churn. So there's the customers that are going to to churn because they just you know the, the circumstances changed in their company. But apart yeah. from that type of churn. Um, you know, I've many companies are very restricted in terms of resources, so they cannot provide the support at the level that is expected. So either they take um, like many days to respond to emails or the responses are inadequate and, and the, the customers are frustrated because you, you send a question and you get like a, a, a somewhat satisfying answer, but then you have a, a new question because the, the answer was not good enough. So the, I've seen lots of companies fail around support. And then I've seen companies fail failing product uh, because product is, is one of the things that you know product-first companies are, are typically good at. But the problem is that um, uh, it's not that obvious, especially when it's a very complicated product. It's not that obvious to make it easy and intuitive. So basically, when the, comp- the, the product is not uh, easy and intuitive, then basically you need more human hours. You need more support, you need more customer success, you need more help documentation in order to cover that gap and ensure that the users are actually onboarded properly and they know how to use the features and they understand the logic of the product. So, um, I've seen like products that work. Generally speaking, they don't fail because of pricing, because you know otherwise they, they wouldn't have customers. So um, for really early early stage uh, companies, then pricing that potentially could be a major challenge of how you package your um, your solution. Uh, th- there are products that where the pricing makes sense and there are products where the pricing is adjusted to the value or at least they try to adjust it to the value they create to the customers. And that's typically not uh, a good idea for early stage companies because you don't understand the value that you create to companies. So it's it's not a good idea to try to maximize revenue. Um, mm. So, but, but generally speaking... Product, I think would be like breaching the gap between like how intuitive your product is and how it is, like, how fast people can can get to um, getting value from your product. I think that that's the biggest challenge I think I've seen.
0: Mm. And so, you know, trying to find that balance, right? Because you want to show them, you know, the time to value, how fast you can show them the value. You're trying to maintain your churn rate, keep it as low as possible. But then there's also a cost of, of all that, right? Like kind of maintaining your costs your profits. Um, and you know, there's obviously if your if your product is good, there's a high switching cost for for locking in those customers. Uh, do you have any strategies that you've seen that worked well to kind of keep that that balance between your economics and, and your books, and then also making sure to to reduce the churn, uh, I guess, and, and giving that, that that support that's needed to keep them on the board for for the long term.
1: Well, I think that the, the, that's the reason why I decided to to create helpful docs for the company I founded uh, recently. So mm-hmm. I've seen that. Um, so your cash, uh, your cash resources are limited. Your time is limited. So you have to find ways to help the customer either by redesigning your product and making it super efficient and, and super user friendly, so that they can uh, they can get value quickly and they can actually stick with your product, or you can wrap your product around with the right type of help content so that the help content does the job. And they can actually, even if the the, the way you've designed the product doesn't make sense, if you layer on top of it uh, help content that's going to help the user to actually Find, you know, use the actual feature and get value from it. Then you, you're basically covering you know most of that gap. Um, but then again, it comes down to how you create that content and what content you need. But generally speaking, from no content to some content, there's a le- already a huge uh, positive impact. Now, from some content to the best content, yeah, again, there's a huge impact. But that's like for early stage companies if you don't have help content embedded into the product or in a very easy way for users to actually go and find answers on their own. And they have to ask you everything on, on on the chat or on on by by emailing support. then that, that's probably not like it, it, it's it's uh, just a vicious vicious circle. and you you won't mm. get out of it.
0: Makes sense. That makes perfect sense there. Uh yeah, I mean have, having it as clear as possible for people to access. They know what they're able you know able to solve their problem without that frustration. right? Because as soon as that frustration kicks in, I think that's where you know people are like, okay, well, I want a refund here. I mean this is not making sense to me. This is not what I'm paying for. And it's easy just to to blame the the product, but it's probably just your system and, and what, you know, lack some kind of resources that can easily be be fixed uh, if you pay attention to it. Uh, exactly. And looking at the entire kind of funnel optimization, right? I think that's another part, you know, from, you know, you have to look at your CAC, you have to look at your LTV, your entire marketing budget and, and sales for the balanced ROI. What's a, what's maybe a strategy you like to follow to bring in or build a funnel into, you know, a healthy and balanced return to sure it's, to make sure it's optimized and, and you're generating that a good ratio there of the, the CAC to LTV ratio.
1: So that's a good question. And I've had the the the, the advantage of basically being, um, uh, being exposed to the entire thing. So I've been, um, you know, in teams where I've worked, especially teams where I joined as the first sales slash growth person, and then I built a team and then I kind of like moved out into, um, uh, like an advisor role. So basically, uh, uh, like if 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 every company could have salespeople feeding their knowledge and the and what they hear into uh, someone who can actually convert this into marketing projects and marketing campaigns and growth projects, then. I think there's going to be a huge advantage. Um, the, the, the impact is going to be huge because my role in, in my previous roles before I founded helpful docs was to actually connect the dots. Because if there is someone that connects the dots between what's happening on the front on the phone calls, what's happening on the product, how people are using what, what tickets are they submitting? What do they struggle with? And then you connect this to the marketing, where they come from and, and what campaigns are actually driving that, uh, you know, lead generation. So if you connect the dots between the three, you can actually use, uh, you can actually optimize uh, the funnel and you can get the best results because what I see very often is that most companies, even companies that have like 500 customers or a thousand customers, they've figured out lead generation through some like combination of ads or like landing pages or something. So that's kind of like a, a working on its own. And then there are those leads that are coming into to a tool and then support is working in order to support those, uh, the support team is working to support those leads in order to convert them and answer their questions and, and like fix things that they might need or help them to, to understand how to integrate things. So that's a th- a second category, but it's completely disconnected to what the advertising is doing and what the marketing and how the leads are coming in. And then yeah. you have a third one, which is the sales. And the sales, I've, I, I know it's hard to believe, but in many companies, many SaaS companies, mm-hmm. the salespeople, they do not have access to the, to the support emails that users are exchanging with uh, the you know support team. So basically, mm-hmm. you don't know what's being discussed um, and, and you have to actually ask, what, what did they ask? on support so that you know what to say on your next phone call with that lead. So it's it's like bringing all the dots together so that you have a full image on what's happening at any given moment. And then you can start optimizing step-by-step. So from the ad to, you know, uh, onboarding, from onboarding to, um, you know, first features or depending on how you want to plan this um, and then to actually uh, convert them and then to expand the revenue because revenue expansion is also a big part of it. So I've, I've joined teams where, We've worked uh, in order to to win accounts, uh, like to to increase the number of conversions and and win more accounts. And then once that was done, then we were uh, we were able to to layer additional opportunities for generating revenue. That was actually you know increasing the revenue per account by two x three x easily because they did, they hadn't done anything before. So it's it's the entire thing. How you connect the dots, basically, J- just. You know, following everything from the beginning to what you write on your ads, uh, to what they see on those landing, landing pages, what they say, what they write on support. It's a lot of work and it's it's a very detailed work because you have to, you know, go through every single phone call, every single support email. Um, of course, if there's like thousands of those, you don't read everything. You just go through a sample, but like it's a, it's tedious work, but it's, it's worth it.
0: Yeah, I can see that, right? I mean, most people are very narrow focused of where they're working right there in sales. They're looking at their... You know their, their sales pipeline. They're focused on their own leads, on their on their customers that they're working with. But you know it's it's it becomes a lot more I think uh, valuable when you have a whole the whole kind of picture of what's going on from you know end end to end, and everybody's you know transparent in the communication. But it sounds easy, but I guess it's it's hard to stay. You know, uh, there's so much going on when things are moving uh, to be involved in all of it. But I can see how how valuable that can be if you if you're able to see you know what's going on after the, the deal's been closed, right? Yeah, exactly. Um, um, and when it comes to the whole kind of buying cycle, I know, you know, tracking leads is important. You know, is, is that, you know, LTV to CAC ratio that the, the, what we're trying to aim for? I know typically what people hear is that you want to get that three to one. Uh, is that, is that still the right number you want to aim for in SaaS? And what's your take in maybe improving, uh, CAC, uh, for, for SaaS companies that you've seen?
1: So, yeah, so generally the idea is is that you have to get at least three to one, but then again, uh, it depends on on non on on basically your your flat costs, so in terms of a CAC so you, variable costs because they are variable they can you can actually they, they, they increase as the volume of customers or leads increase, and they decrease proportionately um the the flat costs they don't so if in in some situations, you you go for a three to one, um, and and you have a really high flat cost of like for example, you 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 have a really uh, bad compensation plan, and your sales team the 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 um, uh, the fixed salary, not the commissions, and the fixed salaries are very high, which I've seen in many SaaS companies because many SaaS founders are not salespeople themselves, and there's there is some knowledge mm-hmm. out there, but there is limited experience on how to structure a compensation plan and how to structure, like, basically HR costs that have to do with CAC. Um, mm-hmm. And and they they, they use um, you know as support engineers, they use some really expensive um, developers that have a really high salary, and they spend time kind of like answering mm-hmm. questions on support, and they don't realize that this hour is actually much dramatically more expensive than what you think. So that's increasing the cost, and then the the total like. The, the average contract value and and whatever expansion revenue you can generate. So in order to get your lifetime value, it, it, it's limited by nature. So that you can't constantly expand the revenue and increase the lifetime value of an account. So if right. you don't structure your cost of acquisition properly and you don't understand how to optimize the cost structure purely from the acquisition side, then having a good ratio uh, in, in my head is 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 very hard. Like it's it's going to be very hard to achieve. Um, and I've seen that across many companies because, again, it, it works all together. Like the you, your your pricing is impacted by you know the average pricing and by competition in your niche. For example, there are very few companies that can charge whatever they want. So your your pricing is limited. The 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 length of months, the number of months that someone is going to stay in your product, again, is impacted by outside factors. It's not you can't just uh say that okay if the average is like 18 months or 20 months that i'm gonna go for 45 months like it's probably not Mm. that easy so yeah Mm. i don't don't know if that makes sense but like it's kind of like connecting first of all solve your cac and then try to focus on on ratios that, that was yeah, my, my that, yeah.
0: yeah, that makes sense. So, I mean, and talking about solving for CAC, I mean, the big one, you know, there's the sales and outbound side, which is kind of easier to track, or I guess maybe from, from your sales team and their salaries and their bonuses. Uh, but then on the other side, on the marketing end, um, you know, ad costs are going up, right? We've seen that there's an increase. Competition's going up. Uh, algorithms are changing. You know, Facebook's recent change with the, the iOS kind of update has made a big dent in a lot of, uh, you know, funnels and, and campaigns. Uh, so with, with that kind of, uh, competing right now. We've got this marketing budget. Do we continue with paid advertising or do we go, you know, double down on organic, meaning, you know, content and SEO? What's your kind of overall take on the marketing and maybe the best strategy for some B2B SaaS companies here looking to, to structure their, their marketing budget and, and then look at how to reduce their CAC that way?
1: Um, there's actually a really big challenge that most SaaS businesses are fail, uh, are facing right now, and um, there there are a lot of people, even like really important people in the industry, that are worried. For example, I was listening to some of the um, the leadership from HubSpot. They they were very concerned that because the distribution is very, ba- it gets basically it's it's narrowing down to two companies. Uh, let's say three companies so that would be like google facebook and then some of b2b advertising goes to and lead generation comes to uh through linkedin for example okay. there are of course other channels and other platforms but basically they are the big ones and because they are starting to increase costs up to like at a point where it's it's starting become it, it's starting to become a problem that you can't solve um So you actually have to go into alternatives. Uh, You have to go into alternative channels. So I know it's easier said than done, but Hmm. I've heard of Many um, SaaS companies that are trying to go into owned media. So, for example, we, we've seen a bunch of SaaS companies that are using like newsletter-related strategies, and they're using email as a way to expand their reach. We've seen companies building Facebook groups. Like in in, in my previous company at Enroll Hunt, we built a group or 2,000 users, and that was a group where we can a private group. Um, but that was a group where we were actually having conversations with leads, and we were gradually. Converting a percent, like X percent of the users in that group, um, every month. Mm-hmm. So basically, owned media, owned channels, and alternatives, because it's it's just um, uh, for, for many businesses, it just doesn't work anymore, um, and it's it's going to get worse. So it's you, you need to go and, and look at alternatives.
0: Yeah, I guess one channel that people maybe don't look at, and I think is, is maybe underlooked and still ha- uh, I guess quite cheap right now, is is podcast ads, right? Like sponsoring. Ads on 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 podcasts. Yeah, um, and I, I know I know that's something HubSpot mentioned this year that they're they're going to be investing and in heavily increasing their budget towards uh you know ad- advertising on, on podcasts. And it makes complete sense, right? Super targeted, uh you know h- highly engaged listeners. The only issue, I guess, it's a little bit harder to scale if uh you know there's not, not much you can do there unless you know there's a lot of podcasts with a lot of listeners that are that you can target. Um, and then on yeah, the other true. side uh, on unlike the the content and SEO. Uh, you know, you know, focusing on organic, you know, especially with that taking a lot more longer to see the results of, of that. How do you kind of look at that from an investment perspective? Do you, do you think you know, that should be a priority for, for these companies upfront or should we wait and- Well,
1: it and depends those... on where the company, uh, yeah, it depends on where the company is in their growth stages. So there are, uh, you, most companies don't have the luxury of not doing uh, one of the most proven strategies. So like anything related to content marketing and SEO, uh, in early stages, you need to just find you know the equivalent of um, you know eBay for PayPal. You just need to find one channel that works so that you can drive your mm. first like hundred customers or five hundred customers or whatever the number is for for your business. But beyond that, then you are kind of forced to do a bit of everything because there is this whole thing that's happening right now with a flywheel and the omni-channel strategies. So, exactly. Mm -hmm. Yeah. So it's, it's, it's kind of necessary, but in the beginning you don't have the resources. So I I was speaking to a founder from uh, San Francisco yesterday, and um he they create uh, an app that like for email and, and chat, and like it centralizes communication across multiple channels and He was telling me that for them, their growth channel is slack communities. They get into slack communities, they use some automation in order to contact more people uh, simultaneously um, and then they actually get in with their team and they have one on one conversations through those slack communities and there are thousands of slack communities right for any you you can imagine so that's their growth channel so and and that's a channel that like many founders they because themselves they're not users of slack communities they kind of like overlook this Um, but it's it's a big like we're going through a a very big stage in 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 like the evolution of the internet with online communities Mm. so they like online communities are are a big thing and they're going to become even bigger as we grow
0: Mm. yeah that's a good point i didn't think about that um And then kind of switching gears, I want to talk more about, you know, your your product and the importance of product and help content, right? Kind of the, the, the heart of this, this episode, I'm a SaaS founder. I'm thinking about, you know, now starting to include this and I want to think of it, of how this is going to impact uh, directly on my growth. When should I start looking at this uh, as a, as a lever of growth for my, for my business?
1: so um that's a good question uh generally speaking again it depends on the growth stage so if you are just starting you have your first few customers uh just write a few articles on your own um like you you can do it i mean even if you can't do it just have, find someone like our company or a freelancer or someone who can write some you know like entry-level basic content for your product so that you can offer that next to um, you know, the next, next to the actual feature or in a help center, and you can actually help your users to to adopt those features. You can increase the time to value, sorry, decrease the time to value, and, and you can actually get measurable results by using that. Now, uh, most companies that uh, reach out to us, they are beyond that stage. They, they actually have some help content. They, it's been created typically through uh, just from the founders and early team members. But the problem is that the content is not structured, it's not um, high quality, there's a a lot of duplication, there are wrong links, the screenshots don't make sense. So basically, having uh, content that's not really helping your users eh, and and not updating the content accurately, that's equal to not having it. And I would would dare to say that it's actually worse than that because it has a negative impact. It, It makes you look bad because the screenshots are outdated. So... Um, that you know it doesn't work it, it's not actually helpful so i've yeah. had personally this experience i'm a user of pandadoc so they they were electronic signature um like and contracts and quotes and uh, and stuff so uh for a period pandadoc that that was about i think 1 to 2 years ago they 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 made a major upgrade like a 2.0 version of their product and The entire help center was completely outdated. The links didn't work. The screenshot didn't work. The the text didn't make sense because they completely changed it. So as a user, I was hyper frustrated because I couldn't figure it out. And then I was submitting like 10 times more support tickets for just figuring out how I'm going Mm. to do certain things that I used to do before. And imagine that I was already a customer. I was paying for several months already, and I was fully integrated. Like Pentdoc was part of our workflow, so there was no chance I was going to remove that. Um, so, and still, I was hyper-frustrated and considering that journey. So there are different reasons why someone would, would use help content at different stages, but generally speaking, if you don't have help content, you're missing out on the opportunity of uh, an automated Salesforce, basically, that's selling your product and helping users and onboarding users and supporting them while you know um, you're sleeping, basically. So it's it's it's. I think that that like the value of help content is is seen as a nice to have, but it's actually much more important because um, you can't scale without it. You you would need like a thousand people as you scale. For answering support tickets and getting people on the phone and walk them one by one through like Zoom calls. So, um, now, that, that's a high-level uh, view on this. More specifically, uh, there's also uh, an SEO component to this. So many companies, especially companies where the help content is actually explaining how to get value, but more on a general la- level. So how, for example, to use analytics in order to understand what's happening into your product. So that's a help article by an analytics SaaS, but it's actually a help article that helps a user that's trying to understand how to understand Um, you know, how users are using the product. So we're starting to see a lot more companies actually opening up um, their, like, basically optimizing the content in order to, to make it also SEO friendly. So it's not only SEO friendly, you don't design it for content marketing, but you also use it for attracting people. And uh, there's a blend now like that help content over time, I think is going to blend with traditional blog content, especially for product first companies, where you yeah. have to talk about features, you have to talk about, um, you know, how people can get value. So it's the, the, it's, it's getting a bit blurry. Um, of course, there are articles that are explicitly help content. So knowledge base, where to click to do this. But there's also that second type of content and, and there's more and more companies using that.
0: And how much, just kind of curious, how much would you weigh that, that SEO and technical side, you know, getting the right keywords, the meta tags versus just focusing on, on good and good, getting good content that's, you know, readability, clarity and making sure that the basics of the, the article is there. Um, just curious, you know, how, how you'd look at that from, you know, the algorithm perspective from Google and, um, you know, how, how you want to structure it if you're looking at, if you're thinking about that, if you're building them out.
1: Yeah. That's a good question. So basically, I would I would say that because um, the product related content has to help users and it has to be designed for helping users. You you write the content, you create the content with that in mind first, and then at the you know as you're doing it, you basically try to optimize for you know for Google. You don't optimize for Google because when you optimize for Google, basically you're, you're you're unable to provide the value to the users in the way that you want to provide it. So exactly. that's yeah. So it's not your first priority. It's your second priority, but, um, it, it it's, it's when, especially help content that's, that's open to the web and that's, uh, answering a very specific question or is like, basically it would get discovered through a long tail keyword. Then uh, it like, of course you need to optimize it, but it's, it's not your first objective to optimize it because you're targeting the user that has a very specific issue or a very specific problem. And they're trying to find this and Typically, um, you know, it will get picked up. Uh, so that's at least what I've seen until now. Now, of course, because more content gets produced, if more people pick up this strategy and they start creating, you know, the same type of product-focused content and they try to push it to um, to get discovered on Google, then there's it's going to be harder to get discovered. But currently, this strategy is working really well.
0: Yeah, yeah, that, that makes complete sense. So focus on quality, value first, and then your know secondaries, making sure it's optimized for for SEO. Cool. So yeah, um, exactly. Uh, Akis, wanna kind of shift gears here, moving more um, you know, understanding your personal background, kind of how you got to where you are today, and you know, sharing some, you know, rapid fire questions with our with our audience. So uh, for those who don't know who you are, can you share a little bit of your background? You founded a company in the past called Afurio. You worked at Enroll Hand and other positions up until founding Helpful Docs. Uh, can you share a little bit about that and what uh, you know helped you kind of generate the idea of deciding to start Helpful Docs?
1: Yeah. So basically, uh, in 2012, I founded a B2B SaaS called Ferial. Um, it was a hotel reservation add-on. We were helping hotels generate more direct bookings because they have a tremendously higher uh, margin on those bookings compared to bookings that they get from like the Expedias and the booking.coms of the world. And, um, and basically, I raised $480,000 from a European VC, um, and I, I ran that company until 2015. So during those three years, I learned a ton about how you grow and, and, and like how you build and, and grow a SaaS business. But unfortunately, in 2015, we had friction with my founders, co-founders, and, and we had to um, split the company, basically. So we couldn't continue the company, unfortunately. Um, so from 2015, um, I joined uh, a couple of companies. I, I, had a, I spent a, some significant amount of time. So I, I think it was about a year and a half to two years with uh, the founders that built Enrollhand and they also built another online tutoring service. Um, and we scaled that from like when I joined, the, the, the Enrollhand uh, was it's a school growth solution. Basically, we were selling to schools in the US and Canada, a few international schools, but mainly US and Canada. And when I joined, I joined at 15 customers, and we actually grew that to 400 customers. And um, we grew that to with an average contract value of about $7,000. So pretty oh. significant growth for a year and a half. Um, and uh, there is that was fully bootstrapped. So there's no VC funding there. So that, that made us even more proud. Um, mm-hmm. And then... Um, um, I joined the uh, B2B wave as a head of growth and, and revenue. So I'm basically number two next to the two co-founders. Um, so doing everything like restructuring the entire company, restructuring the, re- how, the how we attract users, how we grow uh, the revenue, how we expand, um, you know, and, and just the, the whole strategic focus. So. All of those experiences helped me to understand, and and the 15 SaaS uh, that I've worked with as an advisor, um, uh, they they've led to the creation of helpful docs because I feel that that's the the biggest uh, value creation service for SaaS businesses of different sizes, um, and 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 that value is um, is sustainable value, so it can actually help companies grow. So that's where that that's why I, I actually made the decision to create this.
0: Well, and, and uh, in terms of where, where are you guys is in terms of size today, uh, and have you guys raised any capital or is this completely bootstrapped?
1: No, it's completely bootstrapped. So it's just uh, me, an early team member, um, and a few remote team members. So it's a small team. We're about five people right now and a few external, like the, the additional people um, uh, in addition to the five. So um, in terms of customers, we just have like under 10 customers we just started. So it's um, it, it's been growing pretty fast for the number of months that we've that we've operated this. So I start the idea started at the beginning of the year and then I've been like kind of researching it and trying to find um, you know uh, when when would be the good time the best time for starting this. And then a few months ago I decided to go ahead with this.
0: Nice. I love something you said earlier. It was like yeah hey, we built this company and we were completely bootstrapped. We didn't take any any uh, any outside capital and we were proud of it. Right. So there seems to be like a a proud uh, kind of feeling when you're able to build something without having to take external capital?
1: Yeah, no, because I, I've been in both worlds. Like I, I, I raised that like half a million dollars for my first B2B SaaS. And then I joined another company and I saw a completely different world where basically you don't, you don't have the luxury of burning money to learn. You you have to learn without burning money. Or if you burn money for a number of tests or like growth projects, then um, you know you, you have to be very, very careful with your money. Um, you have to, to select people in a very different way. Um, early team members play hugely important role when you're bootstrapped because you just don't have the luxury of hiring the wrong person. When you're, you're VC-backed, you know, there is some room for errors uh, because you just have more cash. Um, so I'm not implying that, you know, most founders should like just do whatever because they raise money. But yeah, you understand what I mean. Like if you make a yeah. mistake because you are a first-time founder, for example, or because you're in an industry that you haven't worked in before and you just don't know the mechanics 100%, like absolutely perfectly in the beginning, uh, you know, you, you're, you're not, you're not gonna, the business is not going to die in three months, but in a bootstrap business, it can die because there's zero revenue. That's right.
0: You have to be a lot more disciplined. There's no, there's no option or choice versus with, uh, you don't have that, that flexibility to, to make as many mistakes, as, as many mistakes as you could, if you had a lot more capital supporting you, right? Yeah, yeah. exactly. Um, so, Akis, kind of rapid-fire questions here before we kind of wrap up. The, this interview has been it's been great. Uh, lo- looking back now, what's one piece of advice you wish had known, and you would tell your twenty-five-year-old self?
1: Well, uh, th- that's an easy one. <laughs> <laughs> I would I would actually get uh, push myself to go and work for one uh, of the big tech companies like the Googles and the Apples and all of that. Um, there, there's an obscene amount of learning that. That you can do uh, for people that have a founder DNA, and they can actually take that knowledge and convert it into into like actionable, um, um, you know, insights. There's a tremendous amount of knowledge that that you can get by working in those environments as at the beginning of your career, and then going into smaller companies and kind of like, you know, working in a much more uh, diverse role as you acquire more experience. I think that's dramatically more important than doing it the other way around and like going and fa- creating a company when you are 22 because you just don't have the experience. You haven't seen how big things run and like we're not all Mark Zuckerberg. Uh, you know, we're not able... <laughs> To, to do those like to 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 achieve that personal personal and professional growth that fast so that you can actually grow as your company grows. Um to so most of us they need to we need to acquire experience, we need to grow, and then we can actually go and apply that experience and grow with the company. So I don't know if that makes sense, but that uh, that's kind of my gut feeling.
0: No, it makes complete sense. Um who or what are some of the best three resources? It can be books, people, mentors, or people you follow who you'd say have been the most instrumental to your success over these last few years?
1: Um, unfortunately, I don't have a, a specific name that comes up right now. Uh, there, there's been people that have influenced like for a period that was really passionate about Tim Ferriss and his books and his podcasts. Mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. But beyond him like there's nothing that comes to mind right now like as a, as a major resource um there's one concept that has changed a lot m- the way i see things in the recent years and it's actually a concept called um, uh, continuous improvement it's a manufacturing concept which i learned from the founders of enroll hunt it's actually that concept of incremental improvement that you do gradually like a three percent improvement every day at the end of the month at the end of the year is actually a tremendous improvement because it compounds so that culture of continuously micro improving things and then when you have the opportunity to do major improvements i i I did a lot of reading i bought books around this topic of continuous improvement and how they do it in a manufacturing concept i think if if you learn this it's it's a it's a really good uh, skill to have
0: yeah yeah i love that the continuous the kaizen mentality yeah exactly Yeah. yeah okay that's that's fair um Akis, you know, obviously had some good success from, you know, founding your company to working with so many companies, advisor, and now starting your own company. So a lot of flexibility and freedom uh, to be able to build uh, an interesting products. What does success mean to you today, though, whether that's personally, business, financially, life, you know, there's, there's no right answer.
1: Yeah, that's that's actually a, a very good question again. But uh, um, so I, I think like I'm I'm 38 right now, and I have a, a, a three year old son. And um, yesterday he started daycare for the first time, and and so uh, I'm I'm really excited, like super happy about you know uh, work and growth and revenue and, and milestones and and, and you know uh, do, doing what I do. But at the same time, I started valuing more. Uh, things that I didn't like—I didn't pay much attention to in previous years because it was really focused on work. And and so um, now, like, because I currently I live in Greece, so there's a there are a lot of a lot of uh, really beautiful islands in Greece, and I'm like, uh, you know, spending two days like a weekend with my wife and friends, potentially and our son. And um, you know, th- that's something that I really value now. Um, a few years ago, I, I wouldn't do that. So. Yeah. That's, that's kind of like something that I, I consider like if you, if you can do what you want to do and you have the, the, the the revenue that you want to have for your, the quality of life that you want to have, and you have free time for doing the things that you like, I think that's success for me now.
0: Right. It's not always about continuously chasing. You have to be clear on, you know, what it is that, that, that what you're doing is actually just supporting the lifestyle that you want to create. Right. And not just chasing because you want to chase. Yeah. Love it. Um, I guess this has been great. Kind of final question. Where can uh, founders listening in or maybe marketers want to get in touch with you, learn more about you or, or helpful docs?
1: so basically uh the best place would be twitter so at akis Laupodis, uh that that would be my hashtag i know it's a it's (laughs) it's a mouthful (laughs) so uh if you can link to it in the show notes that that would be great and then my email is uh al at helpfuldocs.com. so that's a l two letters al at helpfuldocs.com. i'm more than happy to hear from any of your listeners
0: awesome thank you so much akis i appreciate you you jumping out today very grateful thank you All right, cheers. Thank you all for listening in to this episode and joining SaaS District today. Don't forget to leave a review and subscribe for future episodes where we interview top leaders in the SaaS industry. If you're a SaaS company looking to grow and unlock the true value of your business, get in touch with us at horizoncapital.com. And myself or one of our consultants will provide a free assessment to help you get there and hit your goals. If you have any feedback or suggestions for this podcast, please DM us on Instagram or LinkedIn at Horizon Capital and help us improve our content for you all. Thanks again and hope to see you on the next one.